Welcome, everybody, to this very special podcast series that we're running for the month of June. It is going to go behind the scenes of I Am Here, our new film with Burkhardt Studios and obviously Thereabouts Productions. Is that the name? I don't even know what the name of this is. That works. Thereabouts Productions. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, oh, sorry. Not trying. I'm not trying to interrupt you, but no one knows who I'm even talking to. So, can the two of you remind everybody slash tell everybody who you are? All right. Uh, my name's Angus. Uh, last name Morton. I am the, I don't know, founder of thereabouts. I guess. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Are we editing this or no? No, we're not not editing this. Um, My name is Isaac Carson. I'm the executive producer of Therabas. Chief officer of silliness. And what about you? Who are you? Oh, good question, I guess. Um, I'm Abby. I am the self-proclaimed editor-in-chief of Therabouts, which is a made-up title for a made-up job. And okay, people, why are we here? Why are we here? Well, we are here to talk about our new film um, that we are currently in the final stages of production uh, and we're currently seeking crowdfunding through Kickstarter for. Uh, The film's called I Am Here and it is a docudrama, so a mixture of documentary and scripted narrative uh yeah so it's an exciting undertaking for thereabouts new territory for us and we're going to be doing this will probably be what a four-ish part series uh to just bring the story to life oh sorry isaac yeah no i think yeah we'll do it once a week we have um an exciting lineup of people that we collaborated with so far on this film and that we plan to uh, moving forward to bring this film to life. So probably once a week, we'll get into some sort of topic. Um, Yeah, once a week for four weeks. And so I just want to kind of set the stage really quickly for people. This film, I Am Here, it really upends the adventure film genre. And in doing so, I would argue it also upends our perspective on what adventure and over uh, overcoming obstacles even mean. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but for now, let's go back to the very beginning. If I remember correctly, your original intent for this project looked absolutely nothing like it looks now. What was your original goal with this? It started out as three five-minute films um, with a really heavy animation element to them that was sort of that was isaac and i's input and as gus mentioned the animation element we hoped would differentiate it and provide some latitude in terms of like uh injecting sort of the storytelling that we had in mind exactly yeah we wanted to do something that was fun and interesting to us um and that was that was the animation approach and and kind of that initial idea at least but at the same time, really feeding into like the outdoor industry narrative of like short, snappy films that you can watch on your phone, maybe even watch on social media. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. You know, and we felt <laughs> it's funny to think that it's funny to think this way now, given or granted what we're trying to do, but uh, or what we are doing. But um, at the time, we thought, yeah, this is a nice way to kind of use some of the tropes of of short film, you know, marketing materials, um, but try and inject like some form of perspective that is a little bit that gives a little bit more insight into, you know, or asks sort of larger, more broad questions about like why we do this uh, and and what these things mean to us in the scheme of our lives. And that was sort of mm-hmm. the initial approach was to to follow the trip, um, three films from uh, each film following a different athlete's perspective and then and then using the animation to actually go back to a point uh, earlier in their lives, um, which kind Wait, of... You, time out, which athletes are you referring to? Uh, myself, uh, Chris Burkhart, and Rebecca Rush was the third. There was a team of three that were doing that expedition. And I think for all of us, well, especially, yeah, Chris, Rebecca, and Gus, it was the first time in their careers where they couldn't all probably get outside freely like they're used to so like mm-hmm. this topic of what does adventure mean to each athlete was something that we all were feeling and i think that's sort of how it came about yeah exactly exactly it was a big time of reflection obviously the pandemic i think for a lot of people um us included and so yeah so it was kind of like that <laughs> you know trying to reflect on a lifetime spent in the outdoors um, and actually think about what it means to us, but also to like where it kind of came from. You know, like you don't really think about a point in time where you really started on the path that you're on today. So trying to like, you know, drill down into your history and try and find those type of moments. Honestly, this sounds like a great idea. Are you sure <laughs> that actually, you don't want to make this film? It's actually a better idea. Now that I'm saying this, I'm like, fuck, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's copyrighted. The idea is copyrighted, so no one can rip it off. Yeah, we, don't can still, steal this. we can actually still use it. It's going to happen like, at some point. Like for a different project. Not this project. We'll get to that no, yeah, in a, a second. One. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, who says we're not going to be doing something like it in this project? It's, yeah, You know, it's a exactly. big project, this. So. I mean, yeah, this project is a lot about uh, examining examining your past and trying to work out uh, from where from where it is that you came. <laughs> and I think like these themes we're talking about uh, are definitely part of like the larger script we p- have put together, and yeah. is included in the yeah. things that Rebecca and Chris say, both and Gus, um, on the expedition and, you know, in the flashbacks, uh, and in Mexico city as well. So we haven't gone there yet, Isaac, don't, don't give it away. No, I'm not giving it away. All I'm saying is like the themes just expanded. They didn't go away. Exactly. Exactly. True. We'll get to that in a second. First, can you just really quickly run through Gus, your athletic, like, how would you define yourself as an athlete? And then also Chris and Rebecca, just if people aren't familiar. Right. So I'll start with Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca Rush is uh, a phenomenal endurance athlete, 
big wall mountain climber uh, or mountaineer or and then uh, adventure racer um, really successful and then of course um, one of the most successful mountain bikers you know seven or eight time world champ uh, in ultra endurance mountain biking um, and then you know she's in her 50s now and she and she's won the idea to rod a couple of times she's done it fully self self-supported so she's a phenomenal athlete um, and yeah I mean just just an incredible person uh, Chris Burkhart is uh, I think <laughs> is uh, a photographer landscape photographer surf photographer um, kind of outdoor uh, adventure photographer I guess but then also a phenomenal athlete um, an expedition leader um, if anyone knows him personally they know they know his uh his attention to detail and also his drive um when he's on these things uh and so yeah so he has a he has a really strong pedigree also in climbing actually um but then also on the bike in the last few years and and then and then just in really good experience in extreme environments and then in particular in iceland Mm. uh and then me uh i come from a road cycling background I'd say, um, well, not I'd say that's what I do come from, and then uh, and then more in the like bike packing, adventuring, um, and then I have a very little amount of extreme like winter expedition experience, uh, like about ten days to be exact, prior to this trip. Uh, so oh, yeah, that's just right. a general curiosity. You did like a test run somewhere did, yeah, before this. Yeah, yeah, I did, uh, like a ski was... trip. Uh, in like, Sorry. Yeah, like a ski, an Arctic ski trip um, or Arctic ski training uh, for like traveling in the in the Arctic, so self-supported. Um, we did like five or six days, I think, uh, in like negative 30 to negative 40. Fahrenheit so, or Celsius? Fahrenheit. They, they sort of meet around there anyway. Oh, right. I don't know. I don't know. Those are, that, that's beyond my pay grade. Uh be honest guys how good of shape would you say you were in going into this trip i was in well that's a very good question it's all relative i think you know i definitely wasn't putting in like 30 32 hour weeks like i would have been uh when i was racing for a living on the bike um you know but i was probably doing maybe 12 or 13 hours training and I was doing three days predominantly um, the training I did in the build-up to to this trip was um, I did like three days a week sort of strength and gym with a small amount of aerobic like riding and then I did a lot of skiing like a lot of ski mountaineering um, almost exclusively trained because I didn't the thing that was that I was um, worried about when I'd done that Arctic training, you move really slowly. You were at walking pace. So there's no real threat of sweating, but you have to be very aware of, of the danger that sweating brings. Um, but then but then I knew that riding a bike is like, it's harder to control that. And so I sort of ski mountaineering, you know, if, if for anyone who's done it, you ski uphill, you get incredibly sweaty, even though it's freezing and then yeah. you ski down, you ski down the mountain and you freeze. And so, like, like getting used to managing the temperature 
um, and managing that sweating issue because I'm like I'm the sweatiest person in the world, hands down. I've never met a person who comes close to being as sweaty as I am. I don't know. I think I'm pretty close. So, I run with you quite a bit, and I feel like we both yeah are drenched in sweat at the end. And so, so just that's... to make yourself feel better. Right. So but that's I've a really interesting it. point. So you were basically training on skis to try to figure out this sweat management system. So when you got to Iceland, you weren't going to freeze to death over there. Exactly. And when you look at the physiology of of what of what we were doing, the riding was was easy. You know, again, you're never meant to be exerting yourself so much that you sweat most of the time. So, um, so it was sort of like fitness-wise, you didn't need to be have a high aerobic threshold or anaerobic threshold or anything like that. But you're on the bike for a lot of hours, so there's a strength component. You're also handling a really heavy bike, which you don't typically do, so there's a strength component there. And then there's a lot of walking, hopping on and off, um, lifting, sort of those odd movements. And so I actually did work uh, with a guy, uh, a trainer in the gym, and we did a lot of, you know, like low weight but odd kind of movement strength stuff, a lot of one-legged strength stuff, a lot of um, sort of random like you wouldn't know and I would get in and I wouldn't know what the session would be and we would do one, you know, one set of exercises and then and then he would sort of, so everything was randomized in a sense so that you had no preconceived idea. So just trying to keep you on your toes. Um, and so we would train like that um, basically just to get strong. And I think honestly, like that coupled with obviously the skiing, which is different motion, but it's full body. Um, I think really strength wise put me in a good position. Yeah. You were actually in really good shape for this. Wow. Okay. I, Bad question, perhaps, but great answer. Oh, you thought you were going to catch me out. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, I just got off the couch and did this thing. That's how I want, that's how I want to be perceived. That's absolutely not the truth. Sorry, I, know just, I can't get away with that Just revealing anymore. all your secrets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, you know. I think a lot of people might have assumed that you were still in pro cycling shape. Sure. I think a lot so of people So it goes do. either way. And I mean, yeah, and, and on that, like I'm – this is the first really tough sort of – physical thing that I've actually worked towards since since maybe like Red Hook Crit or something back in 2018. So I think people think that maybe I, I still train a lot or whatever. I mean, I keep fit for sure, but like this was the first physical um, event, so to speak, that I'd actually trained towards since uh, I finished racing. So yeah. Were you excited to train? Um, I mean, for the skiing I was. I still I didn't want to ride. Like it's one of those funny things where I thought, oh yeah, I'm ready for this. And and initially uh I, I did think that most of my training would be on the bike. And I started riding and I was like, Oh man, I hate this still. <laughs> like not not hate it, sorry, that's the wrong word. Like the idea of doing even just twelve hours a week riding, I was like, Ooh, this is pushing my threshold for for like, you know, ability to endure this. Well, and, um, and in your defense, it was winter in Boulder, which is wet and cold. Yeah, and true. Yeah, exactly. Not You're super right. fun for riding. Yeah. A lot of a lot of road riding, getting sprayed in the face by trucks. Like trails are a mess. Uh, uh, we're already at twenty one minutes, so let's 
uh, zipping right through this. Tell me what happened when you got to Iceland. This is a question for Isaac, for yes. sure. What happened when we got to Iceland, Isaac? Okay, well, before we got to Iceland, in route to Iceland, well, uh, the thing is, our bikes, well, not my bike, but two of the bikes arrived a day late due to some shipping challenges. So we pushed our flight back, and at the time, there was only one flight a day to or sorry, one flight a week to Iceland. And um, so we flew to Boston and we had these cardboard bike boxes. And that's where we were going to meet up with uh, Rebecca because she was on our, our flight. So anyway, show up to Iceland and because Chris was already in Iceland. So we took his bike and we had to go to baggage claim to get the bikes um, because we were switching to Iceland Air. Shout out to Iceland Air. Thank you for the flight. Um and the other airline that wasn't Iceland Air didn't treat our bikes very nicely. And basically, Chris's bike was out of the box in the conveyor belt in Boston. Oh, no. So we had to, like, collect. Was it put together? No. It wasn't put. These are, like, custom, specially made, like, carbon fat bikes. From Fazari. Shout out yeah. to Fazari. <laughs> And exactly. So the parts were just all and, over the place yeah, on the conveyor all, belt? I mean, if anyone knows new bikes nowadays, every piece on bikes is proprietary. So, like, it's really hard to replace anything. And and all of his shit, like, was just out. Yeah, like, not only the bike stuff, because we packed it full racks. with, yeah, racks and bags and other gear that was essential. <laughs> for. Anyway, so that, we collected all the items, did a little inventory check just to make sure like it was all there which thankfully it was and then uh we yeah it is a miracle and then we flew well we waited like eight hours met up with rebecca and then flew to iceland what did you do with the bike did you just throw everything back on the conveyor belt we had to we ran around the airport in the time we had and try to steal tape because tape in the airport is uh like golds and the airlines don't give you tape. And so we talked our way into getting a full roll of tape and uh, fixed it as best so, we could. So, oh, you fixed the box. Yeah, we taped yeah, we up the, shoved everything back, back in, in and just So the box was, was still in existence. You had the box. Okay. That yeah, we had the sense. box. It was just like nothing was in the box. Yeah. Got it. So fixed that, checked the bikes, uh, and then we flew to Iceland, which was a very nice flight. And we were immediately met uh, with a driver because we had to quarantine and uh, for five days. So what happened next, Gus? Yeah, like proper quarantine. So we, we landed instantly. We got into like a car and it was all plastic on the, in the back seat in the inside. And the driver wouldn't come near us. And I mean, fair <laughs> enough. And... And we had to do a test when we first landed and then that's negative. And then uh, we began the drive north. We were were, um, quarantining right where we were starting the ride about eight hours north. It was at at, uh, Deplar Farm, which is a very nice accommodation for our quarantine time. Yeah. And so we, we drove north, which I cannot 
uh, overstate this enough. The most terrifying drive I've ever experienced in my life. We were like jet lagged, exhausted, and it was a whiteout. Like it was this insane storm. The wind was crazy. It was a full whiteout. You couldn't see shit. And the driver uh, clearly knew what he was doing. Maybe he didn't. I've got, we couldn't tell. But he was driving like, like as if he could see where we were going. And then you'd, and then all of a sudden, like a few, (laughs) a few, a few meters in front, you'd see these red lights and a car had stopped and he would jam on the brakes. And it's like, you know, when you're just falling asleep oh, and so no. you're just nodding off and then all of a sudden you're like flying forward. You think you're about to die. <laughs> so it was like a period of eight hours of that where Isaac and I... Wait, eight hours? It was an eight hour yeah, drive? Yeah, it was really long. It was brutal. Yeah. And oh. anyway, we got to the... We got up north and then we Isaac and I specifically had to quarantine by ourselves. For eight days. Because Rebecca uh, was already days. vaccinated. Rebecca was vaccinated and Chris had already done his prior because he, he'd been in Iceland already right. for a few weeks. Right. And there was so much snow, the van, there was like a long road up to the to the house or the hotel where we were staying. And because um, no one was staying there, you know, Iceland was sort of shut down at the time and it was dead of winter. The van, there was so much snow, the van couldn't make it up the long road. So we had to like drag our stuff like the mile all the way up to the house, like the bikes, and anyway, but we were oh, no. we were glad that we uh, that we made it. It was kind of cool though, because then we had fortunately we had then five days where no one could come near us, and it meant that we could prep and test gear properly in the conditions. Uh, you know, different bike setups, different weight set, you know, so weight distribution, and then different gear and clothing. And it was both our first times in Iceland. So we, you know, since we were far north, we saw the northern lights for the first time, multiple mm. nights in a row. It was like a very nice time. Sounds romantic. Start. Yeah, it was like a nice way to ease in. Yeah. yeah. It was romantic. And uh, were you, were people taking care of you while you were there? No, no one would come near us. Like it was particularly, you know, we were in the States uh and by that stage everyone well i mean i think comparative to the rest of the world there was never really a point where anyone here cared that much about covid you would wear the masks and whatever but but in iceland it was like people wouldn't come near us you know like uh in in the sense of like the guy who was managing the property was really like they were very strict about it which again like absolutely how it should be um so it meant that we were just completely by ourselves, right? Like they would come like, you know, 20 meters away or whatever and be like, you're all right. And you'd start to go, you'd start to walk over and be like, yeah, yeah we're good. And they'd, and they'd be like, get back. Um, and so, so what did you eat? Well, they'd left food there for us. But this was the thing. Isaac had asked, okay, we're being quarantined. What food does everybody want? And myself included never answered him. And so they didn't really get us any food. So we were left with like some cereal and there was pasta, a packets veg, of pasta. Some veggies, yeah. I mean, yeah, Chocolate. it was, we made it through fine, but, but it was definitely, I do distinctly remember getting there and being like, wait a second. I, I'd never really quite put two and two together that we really weren't able to even send someone to get us groceries. It was like, no, you're fully cut off. Like what's in the house is in the house. So anyway, it was fine though. We got through it. You yeah. know, we ate some like chocolate mole pasta. 
with uh oh man no broccoli nothing like that it was just like <laughs> pasta well you said there was chocolate i'm kidding yeah but chocolate bar and well okay we should also good time to ask isaac what was your role on this project my role uh is producer so i um helped put the expedition together like th with the expedition team uh, Hero Productions was a lo is a local Icelandic um, production partner we worked with. So I helped, uh, you know, prep the prep the expedition and then you know line produced line produced the the capture team. Um, what does that mean? Oh, uh, it just means just produce the shoot, I guess. Like we had you know multiple cameras and a stills component component as well. So I basically was just producer on the project as a whole and so you you had other cameramen that camera people excuse me mm -hmm. who came in as well yeah uh we had benjamin uh, hardman who is an australian coincidentally but lives in iceland and knows oh. iceland super well um and so he was the lead dp um and then we had um, which what does that stand for director, director of photography yeah. Thank you. Yep. And then we had one other um, assistant Thorsten. to Ben, Thorsten, and Ryan Hill, who was doing drone and stills. And then I was the producer on the trip. And then we had three expedition drivers. Um, Squad. And a yeah. line producer uh, in Iceland um, named Thora. So yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it required a full team, both for safety and for um, plotting the, helping us plot the route um, from north to south. Because the thing is, the ice changes constantly. So we could have like come up with the route two weeks earlier, but it would have been different. You know, uh, it would have changed. So by the ice out. changing, what what do you mean by that? Well, because. Basically, there's ice and then there's rivers, a bunch of rivers. Some of them are frozen, some of them aren't. And so, the you know, the expedition team and the scouting was really important because, you know, the cyclists, Gus, Rebecca, and Chris had to traverse a route that was frozen or, you know, uh, cross the river that was frozen so their feet wouldn't get wet. So it was a very like important thing that the that the route was scouted and that um, there was some level of confidence that a way could be traversed that would be safe, especially because the um, the weather changes so quickly during the winter. Yeah, what did what did this trip look like? Walk us through it. Well, it was. I think we allocated. Um, I think 10 days to 14 days or something uh, overall. And that was essentially like a weather window, um, as I, Isaac said. And um, how many miles were you trying to cover? It was like 350 or so miles. And that's miles. the entire length of Iceland. Yeah, that, well, that's like um, from north to south kind of bisecting. Um, the yeah, the highlands in essentially, essentially in the center uh, of Iceland. And and Chris, who came up with the route and sort of the concept for the for the mission, uh, really wanted to to cut as direct a path as possible. So he wanted to to essentially just go straight, um, which you can, uh, 
Why not? In in the highlands because there's no roads and you just go across the snow. But in order to do that, um, it means that you need to have the right snow conditions. And it, it goes through like a, a freeze, then a thaw cycle. And, and you want that freeze-thaw cycle to have happened a few times and then you want to, you want to come on the back of um, a freeze cycle so that the top of the the snow is essentially melted then refrozen into an ice into a layer of ice um, thick enough to support the weight of you and then you can ride across it and when when that gets when that's perfect it's like riding on perfect asphalt like it's crazy how fast you can go and how smooth it is um, so knowing that we needed quite a few things to play in our favor uh, in order to to get the right snow conditions we allocated quite a few days and then and then once we knew that we were getting the right sort of weather pattern system coming up it was basically a matter of okay like let's go uh, and i think we did two days that got us up onto the highlands and then we had a weather day for a crazy storm it lasted about 24 hours and then we did where did you stay during that there were huts there's a whole hut system oh. throughout um, the highlands and uh which are open to the public and essentially we just plotted so we had those and they're open in the like, in winter the huts yeah well we got them opened yeah you, at this time at this time you needed um permission and so what you know basically what happened is um we had to scout confirm the huts that we indeed wanted to use and then they're sort of privately owned i is sort of how it goes and you and we had to ask permission to to stay in some of and we needed to get the lock box code and provide it to the cyclists beforehand um and that was sort of the huts were sort of used as the the, the checkpoint like sort of end of day destination oh um, so you went to a lot of huts along the way three okay and i i have a question about all your shit were you, was this a self-supported mission? Were you carrying yeah. all your stuff, even though you yeah. had a film crew and. Yeah. So we carried, we were self-supported. Um, and look, there's probably someone that's going to like crawl up my ass about the definition of, and the difference between self-sufficient and self-supported, supported, self-sufficient, I believe is everything you need in order to survive carried with you. That includes shelter. Um, and then self-supported is everything that you or the means um to, to support yourself um carry with you on the bike and so that means like no one with you kind of knowingly giving you assistance um so, we so were, even though you had the film crew there it's not like they were carrying all your no so we carried yeah so to finish that to finish that off we had sleeping bags tents uh, we had we had everything to be self-sufficient um, but we weren't self-sufficient because we used um, we used the huts uh, along Got the way. It. But we had to make sure that we had we had the ability. Uh, obviously, there's no food in any of these huts, so we had to boil snow or melt snow um, for water, and um, and then carry stove fuel uh, in our own stoves. And then we had emergency. We had a tent and things like that. So um, yeah, we carried all our gear, and then there was a separation between us and the and the uh, film crew. Yeah. Did I you mean, carry always, all your food we, too? Yes. Yeah, we carried I carried like 14 days. I carried a lot of food. Oh. Yeah. 
How heavy was, was your bike? Did you weigh it before you started? I think that was 70 pounds. Not as heavy oh. as you would think. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. Because we didn't have to carry water. Because uh, water is, uh, is relatively easy to get. Um, I know it sounds like it's really easy to get because everything's snow, but it's not. Um, but in Iceland, it. it was because there is quite a few thermal springs. So um, there's oh. quite a lot of liquid water. Yeah. And like um, we always let uh, we meaning like the film crew and the, you know, the expedition team let the, um, the cyclists lead. And so we were always like trailing behind and like keeping our distance to Gus's point. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So, yeah, were you in close contact or no? Not really. I mean, interview questions, that sort of stuff. Uh, and then, but yeah, there was no support or anything from um, from the crew in the sense of, yeah, being able to like, you know, be like, oh, watch out for that. They thing weren't there. navigating. I mean, I fell they through, weren't carrying I your fell things. through the, no, they weren't carrying anything. They weren't giving you life. hugs and kisses. No, as much as they would want to. to. Yeah, we were like, because, you know, we're, we had food and some nice, you know, we had some candy bars. So we would always like be aware of like, oh, we should probably eat the Snickers in the car so that, <laughs> you know, they don't see us like chowing down on, you know, chocolate or whatever. Probably you crave while you're in the middle of a, yeah, middle of the Icelandic highlands with day five of frozen meal what were you eating out there Gus um the main meal uh the main meals that we were eating I was just trying to think were like reindeer stew and the freeze-dried freeze-dried meals but they were like really cool Icelandic brand that one of them them was reindeer stew fancy uh, freeze-dried food I mean yeah yeah it was I mean we lived we lived absolutely fine. A lot of cabanossi sausage, which was oh. gross. You know, like what's uh, that? It's like this processed kind of like jerky, salami type stuff, uh, and that just sticks in my mind because the way that I, the way that, the way that I did all my food was basically to break it up into days, and so I would mix all of the sweets and all of the savory stuff would just go in in just a bag like my snacks would all be mixed in so you'd kind of go in for a handful of snack and you would come out with gummy bears and cabanossi sausage and like a baby bell cheese that would all go in your mouth at once um it was like semi-frozen wacky combos yeah the meat the meat and the cheese sounded pretty good together i mean it all worked fine um but it's an uncouth it's an uncouth uh, menu. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, we're already at 40 minutes. We might have to cut this into into two parts, everything we wanted to accomplish in this episode, but that's fine. Uh, I'm curious. So you talked about training for heat management. What did that look like out there in the field? The temperature, I mean, I have no idea what anyone's preconception would be for Iceland but just going by the name you sort of think that it's like the Arctic terribly cold um and on paper it's it's not actually that bad I think the coldest it was 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 negative 20 Celsius uh which is maybe negative 10 or so Fahrenheit 
or maybe like negative five Fahrenheit. I'll look it up. On the glacier, we hit negative 20 Fahrenheit. That's right. Which is actually, that's, I mean, that's insanely cold, but that was one specific point. Um, But just generally speaking, like there were days where it was, uh, was in the thirties prior to us getting up. Positive thirties Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so it was like 30, you know, around sort of five degrees Celsius. That's like basically freezing. That's that's quite warm. So it was warm, but but you're but then you have to be prepared for negative twenty Fahrenheit uh, at some point on the journey, and so managing managing heat was challenging because it's also really humid. That's the, mm. the the tricky point is the wind the like um, the wind chill and then it's really high the dew humidity. point. So exactly so so the wind chill and then the dew point like the humidity is makes it um, a wet environment so it feels savagely cold oh, and, and chilling and, right so like yeah we ha- i mean i'm just trying to think what i would just wear i think like uh, a synthetic base layer than a, a natural base natural midweight base layer than a than a th- third midweight and then a shell because like the shell because when it gets windy like you need just the bomb proof shell but if it's not windy, you, you, you're not that cold. So there's a lot of venting and taking on and off gear quite a lot. A lot of faff. Um, a huge amount of faff. It sounds like. Like if you can minimize. Did you? Yeah. It's all about like like, like taking your hands in and out of of your pogies um, or your gloves. Like you want to minimize that because after a while, obviously, you get your hands get destroyed. And I noticed that you know because i wasn't really diligent about it at first so you sort of you try by destroyed you just together. mean dried out dried out and cold yeah dried what out do you and mean cracked, by, yeah um okay. and just freezing like once your hands because in the pogies they're good you've got hand warmers and pogies are these giant glove things that fit over the handlebars of your bike and they're amazing they're insulated they're so warm and so you want your hands in there all the time so you take them out to operate a camera you take them out to I don't know, eat, do whatever. So any of that faff, you know, like becomes, you have to think about those sort of things. Um, so you're trying to minimize any of that, which is a skill. Um, and yeah, it is a skill, which... It really, it sounds like an <laughs> exercise in meticulousness. It is. It's very system oriented. Um, so you have, you know, I would... I mean, I haven't done enough of this to say that any one system is better than the other, but you you need to have a system, right? And whatever that system is in those rules that exist within that, you have to stick to it. So if it's like, these are the clothes that I wear and at this point, like this is the way that I cool myself down uh, or whatever, you know, however you do that, like you stick to that. And, at the end, and then an order of things as well that you need to keep because... You don't want to lose an item of clothing. You don't want to not know where an item of clothing is um, as well. So it's like everything has to come in and out of your bags in an order. And then when you're, you know, taking things off or putting things on, it needs to go on and off in an order as well. Um, and, and at least, yeah. And so then you know, like, all right, this is what I have to do at this point in order to you know, meet the demand of whatever the, the environment is and it's sort of quick. You can be expedient and you don't have to think about it too much, right? right? Because there's a, when the wind's blowing and you're tired and, you, you know, you're sort of mildly freaking out, 
<laughs> the, you know, not having to think about the thing that you need to do is is great. Yeah, absolutely. Once you're in panic mode, you can't have to like then call upon certain parts of your brain that like right. the decision aspect. Yeah. Parts you just of open your, brain. your bag and you're like, oh, here, like here are the things that I'm going to need in this in in this situation, and they're right there, and you just put and, them on. And did you mention that you also were filming yourselves? Yeah, we did. I carried a camera with me, um, which. If anyone's watched the trailer, that opening sequence. Everyone should watch um, the trailer. It's amazing. Is is all just this little camera that I brought with me. Um, wow. So we didn't shoot a ton, but we shot um, quite a bit. Yeah, I shot quite a bit with a little, a little camera. And then Chris and Rebecca were shooting a lot with their phones. So with the FAF, excluding the days where the weather was bad and you weren't riding, but... The days that you were riding, factoring in all of these other things you had to do, how much time were you actually moving forward a day? We were like, well, so that's a good question. I couldn't, I don't know if I could answer like moving time because it's so broken up. And I mean, it's probably on a Garmin somewhere or a, a Wahoo or whatever the fuck we use. But, um, <laughs> but we would leave the house usually around five. In the morning, yeah, 5 a.m., 5 to 6. And then we wouldn't finish until uh, at least 12 hours, but a lot of the time, like 10 at night. I mean, some days we went right through the night. So, like, it was long, you know, 14 hours of kind of from door to door was not uncommon. I mean, we weren't, it wasn't like we were out there forever, but we were, Uh, yeah. One day was 21 hours straight. Yeah, basically. Why? Well, you got to wait for the film, you know, cliffhanger. But basically, uh, two days became one. And so the elapsed time for that day was almost 24 hours of writing. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason, the, the, the main thing that you play to, like, is the weather, right? And fortunately, they have amazing weather uh, and amazing um, sort of, like, transmission of, of what that, what the weather's doing and what it's going to be doing. So Weather's, you mean they have weather amazing tracking, weather tracking Weather tracking, systems. exactly. I forgot to say the last part of that sentence, <laughs> which is critical. It um, was 70 and sunny every day. Yeah. It was easy. So, so you had the ability to foresee, okay, in 12 hours time, like there's going to be a storm hitting. Um, and because of that, you could then go, all right, well, for example, okay, in 12 hours time, if it's going to hit, like do we double our day today? and try and push to another point what's another point that we can push to 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 move us along further in the case that the storm sticks around and we have to hold up for another day etc cetera, etc cetera. so you, so we we ended up doing that a couple of times we doubled the distance of the days um just due to weather because you were having a good weather window yeah and yeah bad or a better yeah or more more so it was a bad weather window was coming <laughs> and what did bad weather look like? Oh. What does that mean? Um, they did all the wind in like meters. It was like 160 mile an hour winds in one section. Uh, and you couldn't see well, 160 kilometer. Yeah. 100 mile an hour wind sustained. Base. And you couldn't With see snow? anything. Could, yeah. It was white out. Basically, oh. it gets so windy, you could barely stand up. Like if you were to get out of the car or the truck or the hut, 
and the wind was blowing at max speed, you would get blown over. And it's also probably more important for riding. Uh, you can't see in front of your face. So it's just blowing snow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's impossible to ride a bike when it's like 30 miles an hour wind. So 100 miles an hour, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you have to be very careful or very like aware of that. You know, all of, all of you know, expedition type travel is very much about the, the goal is just to make it at some point or other, right. right? And you have to be as safe as you possibly can. So it's about not taking risks. So in those situations, you know, you just wait. Um, you wouldn't even push into it, which is a totally different mindset to how, how I was as an athlete and how I sort of like approached racing a bike or whatever, you know, you race in whatever conditions and, and it's always being aggressive and with training and all of that, it's always about pushing through. Um, but it's well, and it's about opposite. going as fast as you can as well. Yeah, exactly. So it was very much the opposite of that, which is interesting. Yeah, it took some of the, th- I mean, there was a lot of thinking about when to stop and start, you know, in terms of like your guys' decision making. But also, I'm, I mean, maybe this is a question for you. Is like, did it feel um, uh, simplified? Because you weren't like hammering all the time. You were just like, well, this is sort of, it is what it is with the weather. Yeah, exactly. I think once, so at first, um, you know, Rebecca, who has a lot of experience in this, was very much accepting of, all right, you know, the snow conditions are the way they are. The weather is the way that it is. I'm going to just like get through this in sort of the most efficient way that I can. Whereas Chris and I very much early on were trying to push push through and sort of like figure out we can make this work. We can ride this section or like... And, you know, you learn very quickly that, hang on, the fastest way, but also the, you know, the smartest way is to just get through it as efficiently and easily as you sort of possibly can. And so, yeah, then once you sort of made peace with that, it was very much like, all right, if it looks even remotely kind of dangerous... Uh, there's no point in moving forward. Um, and so you have to make... So it was just about assessing what that was and then and then sort of running down what's the knock-on effect of that? Like how does that impact, you know, tomorrow and, and the day after and the day after and what does that mean for food and what does that mean for our organization, you know, in terms of like where we're getting access to, to resources, et cetera. So it then just becomes like a knock-on effect of that, which, which, was, um, which was fine. Uh, and fortunately, we didn't have to do too much of that changing. It was more like we were just early because we sort of would just go for it uh, if there was a window. Have you heard of Wu Wei? It's W-U-W-E-I. It's a Chinese term for... The rough translation is non-doing, like doing nothing. But it's a term that... When I was uh, running in CU uh, in grad school at the NCAA championships, cross-country championships one year, the weather was horrible, like pelting rain, bordering on hail, really muddy, not good conditions for running fast. And I remember our coach telling us to practice Wu Wei, which meant just the way he described it, accepting the elements and rather than fighting the elements, just accepting them and working with them. And it really sounds like that's what 
this whole trip was an exercise in that. I'd never heard that term before, which surprises me considering how many times I've described this to people. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's this thing where you have to just basically accept accept the, 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 the situation and the sooner you can accept it, like the, the better the experience is going to be for you. And that's a hard learning experience for Crazy type A yeah. people like we all are go-getters who are trying to get a lot of shit done. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, someone said to me the other day, like suffering is the uh, ability to not change your um, expectations or the outlook on the situation. And um, I think maybe that's the similar thing to what you're saying. You basically have to adapt. Wait, that's what suffering is? Suffering is the ability or is when you don't do that. When you just uh, like, when you, yes. you know. When uh, you fight the reality around you. Yeah, you stay firm on your imagination of what it's going to be. I love that. I have so many more questions about the actual biking. I think we're going to have to talk about it on another show because I really want to get to briefly, Isaac. What did your experience look like? In what way? Like overall? What were you doing out there? I mean... He was just smoking cigars <laughs> in the back of the fucking truck, just <laughs> chilling, shipping, champ ship shipping champagne. I can't speak <laughs> the whole time. Exactly. Just count, You know, I had a clock just counting down, just being like, guys, just hurry up. I got places to be. No, I mean, I think it was... Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, it was my first time in Iceland. So, like, I, I, you know, part of it for me was just the ability to cross Iceland in the middle of winter and sing these, like, beautiful things that I think a lot of people haven't seen before. So I felt, like, very uh, blessed to, you know, visually see these things. But at the same time, you know, I'm producing uh, the film project and I'm, taking a look at the schedule and the amount of days we've allocated in terms of budget. Yeah, were you stressed out out of your mind the whole time? Like nothing's going according to plan. You don't know what the plan is. You can't see the road. Did you know where the riders were? Like, were they just like off on the ice somewhere? And you were like, I don't know where they are. Are we even going to be able to film this? Like, well, I guess a few things is like, we were lucky to find the most experienced guides in Iceland. And so like, for me, there was a level of, comfort that we have these you know this team that does this for a living um but at the same time like these are my friends and there were times well multiple times where we lost them and what does that mean well we can't see where they are because of the weather the snow is blowing we have no idea where they did they have like an inreach or some type of tracker where you could see them on a map yeah but yeah, it's okay. you know so but so I guess to answer your question, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stress when you're trying to make a film and, you know, uh, be in position to get the shots. But at the same time, it's like, you know, Gus, Rebecca and Chris are in the elements and, you know, in, in the weather. So it was a mixture of like trying my best to have the experience of Iceland and the, uh, the unplanned parts be fun but at the same time it's where you know it's pretty serious in terms of both the filmmaking and the safety of uh the three cyclists 
I just, yeah, I, I feel like it's worth highlighting that none of this was scripted because the shots that you got are so beautiful that you might imagine this was just like a classic photo shoot, video shoot where you go and people are riding back and forth a million times to get the exact shot you want. But it sounds like it was much more of an organic process where they were actually legit riding across the country. Like this wasn't some stage shoot. So you really had to adapt. Just as Gus was adapting to the conditions, you were also adapting to what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, we weren't giving them direction like, yo, dude, go to the bottom of the hill again and <laughs> we missed it, like, do it again. <laughs> I think it was, again, like the perfect combo of, of, you know, the expedition team who knows Iceland like the back of their hands, as well as the capture crew Ben and um, Ben and Co. That basically are out there every day shooting stills and capturing video, like adventure style. I guess it's the easiest way to describe it. So they're fast. They're running around, fully prepared to like run a mile in other in any direction to get to the top of a hill to try to get the shots. So, like literally run on two feet. Yeah, exactly. Like wow. you know. Lafer, one of our drivers, would slam on the brakes, and then Ryan Hill would sprint for five minutes to try to get the shot. And so with his heavy of, camera, yeah, and we would try to get drones up in the air. So it was really fun, like leapfrogging, um, you know, yeah, leapfrogging the team and looking at the map, being like, "Oh, this could be cool." Um, but also, they were riding very fast, and so a lot of oh. it too was just trying to keep up because um you know you put the drones up in the air and then you got to get them back down and then they're ready a mile down miles away you know at that point so there's a lot of catch up a lot of trying to plan for how do we visually get the best uh the best shots and then just being really adaptable and trusting that um you know our team who lives in Iceland and shoots all the time in Iceland, um, you know, trusted that they knew what to get. And we're going to just, so everyone knows, we're going to have both hopefully Chris and Rebecca on to talk more about the actual journey. And we're going to have some of these, some of the camera uh, people and crew on to talk more about shooting it as well. Cause I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface here and we, haven't even gotten to the second half of the story which what do you guys think i feel like we should save that for our next episode and and maybe just end this one by saying that we started the episode talking about the original intent of the film what you are now making looks absolutely nothing like that it's uh, a fictionalized version really of this entire experience and a whole another story that comes after you left iceland which we will get to in maybe the next episode, definitely an upcoming episode. Yes. And um, some producer talk. Uh, we are fundraising for the new plan and the new story. Um, so we would appreciate everyone checking out the, uh, the Kickstarter. And if you are able to contributing to the Kickstarter so we could bring this to life. And what does that mean exactly? What do you need help funding? 
Uh, so essentially, we have um, a scripted component of this film, uh, which is being shot in Mexico, um, and we've don't tell anymore, no more, no more. But uh, we require um, essentially we want to maintain the independent nature of this film uh, and and retain the creative control over it, uh, and so we are self funding. Um, and we need a little bit more uh, cash to go down and finish off the shoot as well as the edit of the overall project, um, which is why we're kickstarting it. We're asking for help, the community. Yeah. Um, which, so, yeah. which we will tell you about in an upcoming episode. I'm sorry. I, 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 didn't want, I wasn't the, cutting you off because we don't want people to know. We just, we want you to stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for more talk about the scripted component of this film but have faith that it is very interesting and that you should support support it's, the kickstarter i mean it's based on a on a true story and yeah. as as deep as these themes that you talked about at the beginning these are arguably even deeper themes about the human condition that you get to get into in the next the yeah part i mean from my point of view they're far less um conceptual and they're very literal <laughs> mm. very, it's sort it's of like very it. uh you know mm-hmm. raw in my mind and memory <laughs> but there are themes uh that we all experience and navigate as you know being adults and getting older and um so yeah hopefully yeah. everyone can resonate with the topics where we plan to bring up exactly exactly that's beautiful i feel like we should wrap it right here And yes, everyone, please go check out the trailer because it is so beautiful. It makes me want to watch the whole film today, which is why we we really need your help to fund the rest of the film so that we can see the whole thing. And thank you so much to you both for sitting down for this 30 minute chat, which turned into an hour and three minute chat. But nobody's counting other than me. And I apologize for bringing it up multiple times. Well, no, it's because we had a lot of fun and time flew by. And because you are a great host and we're prepared with a ton of no, questions. This is... All right, whatever. Oh, okay, we'll talk to you all later. Moderator. Moderator, sorry. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank bye. You. bye. 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 bye.